welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. And I am your co-host and fellow friend and fellow bumbling FileMaker user, Matt Petrowski. <laughs> this is episode 100. One zero zero. Yeah. Should we be proud of it, though, because of the frequency with which we record these things? What, once like... a quarter? Come on. <laughs> But when we hit episode 99, like sometime middle of uh, 2013. And talked about doing episode 100 for like 100 days. I know, yeah. <laughs> that was the, That's it right there, right? So we wanted it. We wanted to, like, to leave people right on that edge of like how awesome is episode 100 going to be. Turns out it's just going to be a totally regular, regular amount of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had that 100 days of brewing, so it made it uh, right. that much more special. I think, I think we just both got super busy. Yes, it's seemingly not too difficult to be busy in the FileMaker world. It's it was true. That time, that right after 2007, 2008, the crash, things got difficult for everybody. And yeah. I wasn't hearing from a whole lot of people that it, that they had a whole lot of work coming in. But now every FileMaker person I'm hearing from, they're like, oh, yeah, I've got more than I can handle. Uh, does anybody know anybody? Yeah. I've chosen to grow my company, so I have four employees now. Yeah, you did that, and so what? What's up, man? I know. Wow, it's got its own share of of you know growth pain, but it's a good thing. I'm liking it. And That's then you good. and I are talking before we get into our before we get into talking about what we're going to talk about, which is going to be what we now know about about the cool features of FileMaker 13. Yeah, FileMaker now it's been goodness. out for long enough. You and I are talking about doing this thing, the FileMaker Retreat. Yeah, well, it was we we had originally talked about obviously the FileMaker train. Yeah, the train on the train a, a second time, but then you were telling me about this. Uh, you had talked to somebody and they had mentioned that they really liked a what was it from uh, Nerd Ranch or something? like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Gerald Chang he went to this thing called the Big Nerd Ranch or something like that. I can't remember where it was, and he really liked the format of it. And it was, it had a lot in common with what you and I did for the train, where people brought a project. The most important thing is everybody who attends brings a project that they want to work on. And then they have a place to work on it dedicated for several days. And people are helping each other. And then you've also got, like, you and me helping everybody going around and looking at everybody's project and offering suggestions and doing research and testing and figuring out the best way to solve different problems because that's really difficult to do when you're alone. And so yes. if you, if you uh, so this could be very beneficial. Well, it, I was going to say one of the coolest things, I mean, as you're explaining it, it sounds, I didn't necessarily have, you know, a big idea of how everything was going to go. But now what you're saying is because originally I was thinking, oh, it's in a hotel room, but you're talking about like you get like a rental house, like through Airbnb, right? Where people actually stay in that house, right? Yeah. The idea would be we'd get a house like on the Oregon coast, like a huge house with, you know, 10 bedrooms or something. People would pay, I don't know, around $1,500 for four days. And that would include, um, the stay and all the food. And Gerald is like a chef. So he wants to cook, <laughs> so we'll have awesome food every day. But it's basically like because um, you and I just got back from doing something with over at Apple. Yeah. And when we when we sat down, and it's really interesting when people come in and they have everybody's coming in with a, a different level of skill set and a different um, objective. Um, for example, like one of the solutions was heavily reporting based, but then another solution 
had totally these different requirements because it had data coming in from like different sources. I oh, think. Oh yeah, server something. stuff and. Or no, uh, no, I know it was. He had started with a solution that wasn't developed by him, but it was developed by somebody else, and mm-hmm. they would just taken a completely non-like FileMaker approach, and so we just had to dig in. But what was really cool is when we sat down and we started going through individual solutions with individual people, they were able to they were able to have that aha moment. I remember that that one girl. Oh um, yeah, I'm, I, Emma. I can say her name. Obviously, yeah. that's not under uh, non-confident or whatever <laughs> the confidentiality agreement. Uh, she's just uh, once you were explaining to it. Yeah, I think you were talking with her, and all of a sudden she's like, "Oh, oh, I get, I, I get." I get it. You can right. see like the sparkle in their eyes. It just comes up as like, oh, I see how I should structure data. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you do multiple tables and don't make six copies of fields. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've all been, we've all learned that. The most important thing to learn as a teacher when you're doing things like that is that we all had those moments and that we all had a point. Uh, you know, you and I and all other experienced FileMaker developers didn't learn this stuff in college pretty much. We learned it ourselves, and we all had those aha moments in our distant, distant past. And to keep in touch with that and to always be teaching from a perspective of of that humility and that leading the person through to, to discover that aha moment themselves, I think, is really important. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally... It was a good experience, and what you're explaining sounds like uh, the same type of experience, like something that would be totally enjoyable to do. Um, I think we should do it. We just need to set it up, make it happen. Yeah, I think that would be good. I'm thinking 12 to 15 people, something like that would be about the right target. Right. If you've got interest in this, send an email to matt at filemakertalk.com. And let us know what you think would be reasonable and good, and we'll work on that. Yeah, as we uh, soft launch a, a thing that we're just <laughs> thinking about doing. So, yeah, we'd love some feedback. Let's talk about some some features in FileMaker 13. What, what, tell me what your top three favorite ones are that you maybe wouldn't have guessed. For myself personally, what's... Most in, I don't know that I have a top three. It's sort of like as I develop and as you start to use whatever the next version is, when a new version comes out, you have this filter period where things start to filter down, where you get exposed to them, where maybe because you're so into developing your solutions, working on what you work on, you don't really spend the time to delve into the features and as much as you would like to because you've got other work going on in previous versions. And so recently, one of the things, there's a project that I that I took on that just prior to 13 coming out, we were brainstorming of how are we going to deploy this? Do we want to do a local client and offset a lot of the network burden and have things done on a local, like a, an iOS client, and have a lot of things done there, and then just have it communicate with the hosted version? Well, what I found out is as I started to develop it, which started when 13 came out, it completely changed the way that I think about developing a FileMaker solution, where the separation model before would have been the most ideal solution. But because of perform script on server, 
it completely and radically changed everything. As soon as I started to use perform script on server, it just now, it no longer made sense to take on the, the maintenance aspect of a local client side file. Really? You know, yeah. So when you say separation model, do you mean like a, is it you've got data separation where the client where you've got a data file and an and a, um, interface file. And are those both hosted on FileMaker server, or do you have the data, the interface file running locally on each computer, each person's local device? Right. You can do it both ways. But typically, the objective of the separation model is, other than you know being able to maintain the data separately and, and effortlessly update the UI file, you get benefits when you put the UI file on the local client. Right. Obviously, because you can preload that client file with... Um, graphics, with the UI itself, anything that doesn't have to transfer over the network, with your objective being to only transfer data back and forth and to be as lightweight as possible. We FileMaker already does a, a pretty good job of caching. So let's say, for example, a file that's opened across the network from FileMaker server, once that that layout's been transferred, it's cached onto the local client. Well, you get the benefit if the client is a local FileMaker file, and there's a lot of things you can do. You can communicate with web services, etc. But you have to manage and maintain the updating of that file. And so there's some overhead in that. You've got to set up the systems for it, You whether you're going to do use a uh, pulling a new version of the file from the web, which is one of the ways that I've done it, or you're going to pull a new version from a hosted file, a FileMaker file, and through a container. But then you've got an update process or routine where you have to shut down the main file, call an updater, have that updater do some shuffling of files, oftentimes within the temp space, replacing the new one and then having or the old one with the new one and then having that new one be available. And I've seen two or three different solutions from other people plus my own. Yeah, the one that's built into um, GoZinc seems to be pretty great, right? It has a really effective way of updating a local file on an iPad or on a computer. Yeah, and I believe they're using the container method, where they bit just uh, the the hosted file can contain the new version within a container, right? And then they're just going to transfer that, if I'm not mistaken. But I maybe I haven't used their product. Yeah, but the really tricky thing is to do it automatically, where it closes the interface you're in, deletes it, somehow renames and moves the other one to the same directory. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the cool magic that I I don't know, but I think they've got that dialed. So, but you're saying that with perform script on server, that really changed your your opinion on that. Yeah, it's it's ultimately changing my mindset on the on the FileMaker standards site. We have this um, something that Perrin Smith came up, and he works over at Doctor Bot. He had mentioned or his, one of his contributions to the standards, which is not just myself, by the way. I always want to clarify it is a collaboration of a number of people uh, there's a guy mm -hmm. named dan smith there's jeremy bonte mm -hmm. uh, we even have corn from proof uh, uh participating every once in a while and i really yeah. appreciate his input um, like there's a mental shift uh, in filemaker developers sometimes where a filemaker developer once they go from the from i need a calculation in order to show this information mm -hmm. and once they make that mental jump of they say wait, I don't need a calculation because a calculation is going to be unstored. Therefore, FileMaker is always going to render this using its calculation engine, which is, comes at a cost. Cumulatively, all unstored calculations, all summaries, all things that I have on the layout, all of those add up, and the developer says, okay, from the point in time that this data is modified, 
if the user changes it, then why don't I just store that data in an unstored calculated field and just tie it to any fields that you know could affect it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's one way to do it. Another way, and that, that actually still puts the data, that thing that needs to exist for only one layout, um, in the data. And the approach that I've been taking lately is to actually have a triggered script that runs on record load that sets a bunch of global variables. And the global variable, the merge field, is what appears on the layout. And, and so I'm, I'm not using a field at all. So there you, that, is, that is a classic and perfect example of the evolution of a developer mindset is, okay, I need to be able to render this. It's not a native field. I need to calculate it. Stage one. Stage two. Okay, now do I need to store this because I want it to be fast and it's going to need to be indexed? And I'm mm-hmm. now going to do it into a field. Now the next stage is, does this even ever need to belong in commingled with my schema? And if it doesn't, if this is purely something for visual display, which Famiker, its visual display language is calculations. Mm-hmm. But they so cause a cost performance or the, the performance that they cost comes at such a high price sometimes mm-hmm. that you get those bloated solutions. So right. that's what, when you get people that understand and have worked in other technologies, and I, I'm only saying that because that's where I attribute having learned these other things. Having worked with Drupal and having worked with MySQL, having worked on the shell and writing bash scripts and knowing these other technologies makes you a better FileMaker developer. Well, those guys, that's... One of the things Perrin contributed to, because I need to make a full circle here to get back to why I like PerformScript on server. Uh-huh. He uh, provided this insight of what would what we call over at the standard site of a low-impact startup. And basically what it was is initially it was you would open your FileMaker solution and the initial target layout, according to the preferences, would be a layout tied to a table occurrence, which therefore is tied to a table, which has absolutely nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And the original design goal, I think, initially was for addressing FileMaker's security issue with regards to the fact that you could open up a FileMaker file through a relationship just by the fact that you had an external relationship. And that's when, the, I think, in 11 or 12, they added the ability to prevent one file from opening another file through the fact that a relationship merely existed. Right. So, they, and, they yeah, they said that... In order to reference this file, you have to have you have to be authenticated. I highly recommend that it gets turned on for every solution. Exactly. And then it comes so, up with a dialog box and says, "Hey, do you want to authenticate this file to be to connect to this data?" And then, in order to do that, you have to actually have full access to that data file. And then it adds a little line, and then you can go to the line. It'll show you what user added what file, what date. Um, and then, if you make a copy of the file, the interface file, it has to be re. Uh, connected every time, so it's 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 very smart. It's really really good. Exactly, it uses an internal ID in each file. So even if you copy or clone the file in the Finder or via FileMaker, it yep. is not the same file. It's a hard coded ID in the file each time that you cannot uh, you cannot even work with a copy of the file. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, the the startup process or the, or the knowledge that Perrin brought that I was able to you know. It just made sense. Changed my thought process. It's. I thought, do I really? Is the performance gain that I'm getting by having a local file that drastic? Because it comes with a lot of maintenance issues. 
Or is it much easier for me to just give somebody a shortcut, you know, dragging from the, the web browser, the shortcut of the FMP URL, so that they can double-click that, open up with the low-impact startup, then always determine who is the user and where where do they need to go. Go to an intermediary, intermediary layout, maybe something that's showing you a, you know, we're starting up with a spinning little wheel, everything that we're used to, to make the user be patient while I load whatever I'm going to load. Say I'm going to load some graphics and load them into the temp file or whatever. Just basically do things lightweight. But take advantage of the fact that FileMaker manages all that for me and then just do any heavy lifting and do it on the server side. And the server being something that you have 100% control over as opposed to all of the other clients just totally changed how I think about how I'm going to design my solutions. So that's that's what perform script on server or perform yeah, script on server is done for me. Mm-hmm. It's I and the, the I've Vince Minano is putting out uh, some information now based on some testing that he's done and um, one of the things that we've t- been talking about on um, the FileMaker standards on the mailing list, uh, Dan Smith actually submitted uh, just a little chunk of code. I think it was about 10 lines of code, which basically retrofits any of your existing scripts to instantly make them uh, server-side compatible so that if the file is running on the server when it's called, then the server runs the script. Otherwise, it'll then run it, uh, defer and run it local. What? I gotta see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, there are so many things that just make so much more sense to have this fast, beefy server do it. Oh, totally. It's, yeah, Vince actually just made the circuit and spoke at the April <clears throat> FileMaker developer uh, meetings. And so I hung out with him for the day in Portland, which was awesome. Love Vince Monano. And, uh, one of the things he has in his test file is, um, if, uh, a script that can create records, and they can either make them locally on the device or it can make them on the server with Perform Script on Server. Now, that's maybe a little bit of a rough test because you don't really have scripts that make a bunch of records just willy-nilly, but it really shows the difference in speed. So I opened up my brand-new iPad Air on the really fast Wi-Fi network and clicked a button to make 2,500 records on the hosted solution, and it took about 7 minutes and 40 seconds, I think, to do that. Yeah. And then I use the exact same script and say perform script on server and don't wait, just create the records in the, you know, asynchronously in the background. And the server executes that in about 3 seconds versus 7 minutes. So the the difference, the speed with which FileMaker server has access to its own data to execute scripts is astonishingly faster than the, than the client. Um well, I, I tell you, it's just once I once it sort of clicked for me, and hopefully what I have to say will sort of click for anybody else who's done anything with the web. What what Perform Script on Server is is that is basically FileMaker doing what the web has done all along. The reason that the browser mm-hmm. is seems so fast is because when you hand off a URL, it's basically a request to a server to do a bunch of stuff compile and collect that stuff in a presentable format and then just give you the presentation back. Right. And, and that gives is you really light, which FileMaker is already really good at. And that's that's what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, so you when you send you ask a, Apache or Nginx 
to tell PHP or Ruby or any language to do some stuff for you. It does it, creates this page, and then sends back just the page of the rendered output. All you're passing back now is just pure raw data. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that with FileMaker, say, okay, I know my layout is going to be requested the first time, pulled down to the client, and then cached. Yep. Now, yeah, there is some overhead, though, right? Because perform script on server, when you run that script on the server, it doesn't have the... Um, it does have the security of who you are. It runs as you, but it doesn't have the context and the yeah. found set. So you have to the script Correct. that you're running has to reget the layout and reget the found set in order to do it what it's going to do. Yeah, file, server when you when you run it on server, it's sort of like server is dumb. It's just like you're telling server do this, and server's like, huh? Oh, uh, what do I do? Okay, go get this set of records, do this stuff to them, sort it, and then you know generate some results, I don't know, perform some summary summarization for me and mm -hmm. do a replace across the field, mm -hmm. um, provided you're, you're not worried about record locks. And it and might fail too, right? Because there might be a... Um... It, yeah, I mean, it could, but it, it, you've, there's, they've got error codes for things that happen. On, for example, they've got error codes in case there are too many scripts running on server and, and yours cannot run. If you're overloading the server with too many different scripts, there is an error back if the script uh, was or wasn't successful. And so you can actually, the when it's open locally, we'll trap for that. Uh, you've got all of your functionality to know whether or not what you asked to be done was completed or not. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's the, the whole fact of the matter is that it's the server, it's done there, it's an environment that you can control. You can put whatever plugins you want on the server in that controlled environment. Nobody else except anybody who has access can mess with the server. And it just changes your mindset in terms of how you're thinking about doing things in FileMaker now. Well, Perform Script on Server was number one on my list of things that are, I'm excited about in 13. It, it, originally, it was for me, it was all of the UI stuff. And mm -hmm. I still love the UI stuff, but... Perform script on server is mentally changing the way that I develop in FileMaker. Yeah, so me too. I have, to, yeah. I have to switch. And I have to say it's still a little early for me because I've been developing in 13 client and everything for a while, but not all of my solutions that I develop on, well, one, my, my biggest solution that I work on, um, the client is still using Windows XP, and therefore they can't run FileMaker 13 Pro right. yet because it doesn't run on XP. And they actually are saying that it might be months or, you know, like six months or more before they can get all the XP replaced, which is astonishing. But, you know, that's state government for you. The server is now 13, but uh, we won't be able to switch over all the clients uh, to 13. So I won't really be able to use Perform Script on Server until all clients and, and servers are, are 13. So that's that's limiting me there. But all my, my most of my other clients are all 13 client and server now. Hmm. That's That's cool. That's going to be news, though, the fact that people are going to take ages to get off XP now that it's seen end of life. That's true. <laughs> well, they've known about it for a really long time. And I, I fear that uh, the exploits are going to be – so once Microsoft starts coming out with security fixes and they're saying, oh, yeah, we fixed these things in every version of Windows except for XP, uh, hackers are going to be able to go, oh, so now you just told me about a new vulnerability that XP has. Well, let me exploit it. And what? Something like 40% of all the windows out there is still XP. I don't know what the number is, but I know it's really, really big. <laughs> yeah, with the article I was reading the other day, it was, uh, it's going to be interesting, mm -hmm. to say the least. What What is the percentage of 
Windows computers are still running XP? I have no idea. I wouldn't even try yeah. <laughs> to figure out. Uh, I'm sure it's... Well, I bet the numbers reported 20 different ways in different sites, so... Yeah. I Every time a new version of uh, Mac OS comes out, I switched to 10.9 in the first couple of days <laughs> when it came out. I uh, usually give it about a month or two months. I yeah. just want to see whatever people find out. I chose to take a leap of faith on that one. And a couple things didn't work right, but it was generally fine. <laughs> yeah, Mac's pretty good about their updates, which is nice. So, yeah, the other things that are super exciting about 13 that we thought of were um, popover buttons. Oh, my God, love those. They really change UI. Yep. Very they really much so. do. They, they really give FileMaker this huge step towards being a real application and environment. And they're especially awesome on iOS. And yeah. I love that they have a little bit of animation, a little pop that goes along with it. That and slider panels, um, which also have that little bit of animation, those two together uh, really make iPad development feel very different. Yep. And then, totally of course, just the, the new version of 13 seems way snappier on the iPad. It makes it, it really feels like a real app now. It's as yeah. fast as other apps on my iPad, at least on my iPad Air. Yeah, I mean, you still get that, you still get the scroll delay, but definitely it does feel like you can actually make something that seems like software now. Yeah, um, like if you have just a bunch of radio buttons to fill out a form, you can basically tap, 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 and it just works. Even if you've got scripts, because I, I very often I'll put a script on a, um, on a radio button to refresh or something um, to commit the record. Yeah. I don't like the little next and previous thing coming up in the bottom left. And you can turn that off by going to kiosk mode. So if you deploy your app in kiosk mode, it turns off the little menu bar at the top oh, and yeah. the little next previous at the bottom. You're talking uh, not on desktop client. You're talking on uh, FileMaker Go. On FileMaker Go, yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's been a, a good one for a while, being able to to use kiosk mode in order to hide the toolbar and that. I love it. Kiosk mode has been totally uh, a non-feature for years, and then poof, they, it's got new life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because they uh, turned it on. Now, what you know what? One thing I don't like is, do you like the two-finger swiping for changing records? I don't like the animation. Huh. I don't like the fact that you can't control it. Do you know if you can? I haven't played with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, on Go, one of the primary features they put in was the ability to use two fingers to swipe in order to go from record to record. Hmm. But the way that they show you going from one record to the next is by animating it just like they do, like the, the slider panel. Mm -hmm. But you can't you can't turn it off, as far as I'm aware. I thought there was a way, but I'm not sure. I haven't played with that yet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost always controlling all of my user navigation. Yeah, so. me too. But I don't think you can disable the fact that if you use two fingers and swipe, it'll move from one record to the next on Go. That's kind of scary. So typically when I do a lockdown Go solution, I do a lot of Go solutions. That's I'm trying to do like one every week or two uh, at MSN Media, even if it's a small one. But it's definitely a major focus. And that one I haven't really come across. But anyway, what I was going to say is I try to always limit it so that you're only looking at one record. Yeah. You know, So you load just the one record that you're looking at. And so that there wouldn't be any there wouldn't be any record navigation anyway. Well, definitely imposing your control over what's displayed and how is uh, that's my preferred method because then yeah. you're you're creating the software instead of 
FileMaker being the software. That's right. I mean, we, we turn off everything else, right? We turn off all the menus. We turn off the ability to, you know, click in the lower right corner and pop up a little thing and go to Quick Find. Aye, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Those are really only for people who know how to use it. But most of the things I'm deploying are for more of the public or for people who don't. I want to hide as much as I can and make the application as dead simple as possible. Yeah. So what, are, cool. what are the other big direction changes you're experiencing as you change your thought process of development? Um, well, for me personally, I mean, I don't, I can't speak from personal experience with it because I have to be honest, I've only looked at it once, but I'm, I'm not necessarily myself using a lot of web direct, but I do know that that is something that from everything I've heard from all of the reports from people that I respect online and yourself, that the fidelity is there, but obviously performance, because it's, I mean, they're interpreting their layout first and foremost, then having that being rendered by another technology, which is uh, Vaden, and then actually ending up and passing it back to the web uh, server to serve back to the client. You've got so many steps that, of course, you're going to experience some performance issues on that. And so um, I've heard great things about WebDirect, but I'm, I've always been a custom web publishing person mm -hmm. myself. And so, Well, WebDirect, if you've got just a handful of clients, like if you load a WebDirect database, it loads almost instantly, way faster than like a Citrix virtualized FileMaker kind of a thing, <clears throat> even though that's actually kind of what's really happening. FileMaker server sort of has a whole instance of FileMaker running virtually to support that WebDirect session. That's why it's such a huge load on server. Hmm. But if you just have, you know, one, two, three people looking at a solution and it's like a read-only search type of a thing, it seems to be great. It says it's every bit as fast as instant web publishing and far nicer to look at and far easier to develop for. Oh, well, yeah. Because there's so many things that you can still do. But then there's, like, if you have a search form and you have a user type in, you know, uh, John Smith and hit enter, I don't understand why, but the enter key makes a new line. It's a hard return key. And <clears throat> that's a bug in WebDirect that's the same as the bug that we had in Instant Web Publishing, and I don't understand it, and it drives me crazy. And as far as I know, there's no workaround. Well, that was like a, there was an issue a long time ago of, about the fact that uh, web forms wouldn't fire the submit when you were in any field. Yeah, that's it. It doesn't fire a submit. And uh, as far as I was aware, I think that was uh, a JavaScript issue at the point at that point in time. But that, well, we're talking about years and years. Right, and years with ago. instant web publishing. Hmm. Yeah, so the same thing still exists in WebDirect. If you've got like a page that has only one thing on it, which is a search, like Google, imagine, and the user types in something and they hit enter. Even though that would work normally in FileMaker uh, client, it does not work with WebDirect. So the user has to actually click the search button. If they hit enter, it does not trigger the uh, script that's that's connected to that field that says on object save, you know, run this script. Hmm. And and even though the checkbox on the field settings in data says you know, when you hit tab or when you hit enter, run this thing. Interestingly, tab does work. You can actually tab out of the field and it will execute the script. But the enter key, if you check box on enter and or return, it does not um, trigger it. So I don't, I don't get that, but whatever. 
Um, well, one thing I wish they would have done, um, you know, I love FileMaker. FileMaker is an absolutely awesomely empowering technology. Mm-hmm. But one of the things FileMaker is, um, one of the faults that I've found with their approach to development is that as soon as open source started taking off, so go all the way back in the day when Red Hat started to commercialize support for open source systems such as Linux, open source took off and it is clearly taken off to the extent where it is, it's eaten a bit of FileMaker's lunch in terms of FileMaker's viability. It's like, why do I need to pay for this proprietary stuff when I can go and get this open source stuff that works just as good, requires me to know a little bit more, but is extremely powerful and I can start with it for free. So I think we've had that discussion about, you know, uh, advanced should be free and mm-hmm. just simply not connect and um, FileMaker should jump on the freemium model and uh, stuff, but it, with regards to implementation from a technical standpoint, there are so many things that they could do that I wish they would. For example, within the web, you have this uh, you have this functionality where you can embed these web fonts now. So I'm sure you remember we were stuck to whatever fonts were the base standards on all of the different platforms. But then web fonts came up. That the, that was the browser's ability to download a vector-based font and then the ability to render that. Mm-hmm. And so you come up, you have Google fonts, you have Squirrel fonts, all these different things. Well, as these new technologies come about and as they are popularized, I wish that FileMaker would accelerate or put them in in a more open or flexible fashion. One of them being for the for WebDirect in particular. It would be really would have been really cool if they would have supported external libraries. So if you were wanted to use an external JavaScript library, if you just put that into a container field and then that could become part of what WebDirect actually serves, you would be able to extend and enhance what FileMaker provides at a base level. And they could do that in so many other areas in so many different ways that it's just, it's always, it's still a proprietary mindset. We're closed. Uh, I think they're moving out of the end user database. But if, if these latest trends of giving more and more developer-like, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers there, features mm-hmm. were to continue, I think it'll really empower the platform because my true belief is that they need more of a developer mindset to get more people who maybe start off as casual users but want to become developers because that's what FileMaker does. It causes that in people. What's kind of funny is um, there actually is a way to get sort of freemium development. I'm not sure if it's being taken advantage of often, but if if a person wants to deploy for like 10 iPads a solution, they could go get FileMaker Pro 30-day trial, build a database in the 30 days, deploy it on a hosted server for like ODI for 20 bucks a month, um, so they don't even have to buy their own copy of FileMaker server, and deploy it on those 10 iPads by getting FileMaker Go for free, and so their total outlay of license cost of FileMaker is zero. And they've got this, they've got a deployed solution that they're paying just a monthly fee. FileMaker gets money from ODI paying for the, uh, from the server license. But, you know, I think that's, I don't know if that's really happening often, but there is actually that entry level now in, in the path of what FileMaker has done by, by the way they're doing hosting. 
True, true. You can you can get you can find a host and then uh, offset not having to pay for a server. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It will probably be hosted on a FileMaker Server 12 though, because they they can um, host unlimited FileMaker Go clients uh, without paying a license for FileMaker on that. Oh yeah, because they shifted to the to the five per or the five bundle set, whatever. You got to buy like f- a set of five. For right, client. right. Because a server comes with one FileMaker Go or WebDirect. And then you have to buy uh, bundles beyond that, and it's pretty expensive for concurrent use. The different, the concurrent licensing model, which I think is great. I think it's, I've been asking for concurrent licensing forever, and I'm very glad that we have it now because that's the way other things are licensed. You know, Citrix and other technologies um, are licensed by concurrent use, not by named user, and I think it's much more it makes much more sense. Uh, and I think the cost is roughly equivalent, so I'm I'm a fan of it. So for like my, hosting my own server, and for the solutions I work on, I think it's great. Um, and I think it's just it'll be a transition. But see, but now now that we realize the huge value of Perform Script on server, we're going to definitely want to be running all of our solutions on Server 13, not 12. And it's we're going to happily pay that small fee for concurrent use of of uh, in order to in, in order to get that huge performance gain of Perform Script on server. Yeah, well, I like I say, if they if there were some things that they would enable in um, FileMaker that'll they give the, the developer just a little bit more control, mm-hmm. FileMaker as an environment becomes so much more viable than it is even now. To me, uh, I was talking to uh, one of the engineers I think at the last DevCon. And telling him, I said, you know, one of the interesting things about why the web is so popular is because the developer has full control over the environment. They can, if they want to, build in AJAX functionality, where the web page that you load is now going to constantly communicate with a server, or depending on whatever frequency you put into JavaScript, will constantly, you know, do this talk back and forth or this chatter which basically is similar to what FileMaker client does. It's polling. FileMaker is always polling. How many other clients are connected to me? How many do I need to update? What do I need to tell them? What are they looking at? And so you've got a lot of this back-and-forth chatter in order to keep things in a known state for all connected clients. But with the web... That's an optional thing. That's something that you build on if you want to take advantage of Ajax's ability to do that, if you're working with something like Node.js. But in FileMaker, you can't shut it off. And so I was telling him, I was saying, boy, all you need really is in a layout mode, in the layout dialog, you need to provide the developer with the ability to say, cache this information and don't necessarily pull in order to update as I'm flipping through records. So, for example, the biggest performance gain you would see on this is, you know, in a native iOS app, you sit there and you can flick, and it will just scroll all of that data, and it will fly past your eyes like nothing's there. It's mm-hmm. just, it's all there. You go into FileMaker, and you scroll a record, or, or a list of records, and it has to update, yep. and it has to refresh. That has been my number polling, one request to FileMaker is to is to make everything in FileMaker go. I'm really happy that some things work as fast, but I want everything to work as fast as a native app. And even if the data is local, what you just said is still true. It still has some lag. And that's what they would have to provide. They mm-hmm. would have to provide a developer-level layer of access to say, I want to electively cache this information 
please go fetch or prefetch if you're showing 10,000, prefetch 5,000. Mm-hmm. If you're showing 2,000, go ahead and get them all. Just load it in my data set. Let me show the user a little please wait dialog. And then once they're finished with the please wait, let it be as fast as heck, as fast as it can be, so that perception from the user end is this is a fast app. And that when the developer has that degree of control, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Now we're building software with mm-hmm. FileMaker. Now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, just gosh, it's so close that, I mean, for, how, for the, the number of years that I've been working in FileMaker, it just feels like this is so close to being a true little IDE, which, as uh, Todd Geis likes to, to promote, and, and I totally agree with him. The reason that FileMaker is so appealing is because it uh, provides the core data binding model for you. You do not have to worry about all of your uh, CRUD operations, your create, uh, whatever R stands for, updates and deletes. I think R is shorthand for write, but it's, you know, R for write instead of W-R-I-T-E. And people... People who haven't stepped into another environment, say trying to build something in Xcode or I think it's read. working with create, yeah. read, update, delete, maybe right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those. I've given up on trying to be like the know-it-all of all acronyms and terminology. I just like to know that my goodness, if we could have an, an IDE and FileMaker that handles all of the things that are the mundane, boring things like the data binding. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's then it's a true not just a rapid application development environment, but something that creates viable software. Right, and that's 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 awesome. Of course, there's so much stuff I lust after though too. Like uh, if you go to Apple.com and you click on the little search thing in the top right corner, it's a little small little search widget, and then it expands and gets wider. Oh, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> See, if you really want that, you could do that. You could do that in a web viewer. Yeah, I know. Do it in a web viewer because all you're doing is collecting one little piece of information. That's the string that the user wants to search That's on. That's true. And then yeah. pass that back through FMPUL. That's true. So full bi-directional with the web viewer, that no, uh, that's native format. Oh, you know what? Speaking yeah. of native formats, I have to just... Uh, talk about this one on Facebook, uh, Todd Geist had put a, a post about FileMaker needing to support native um, multi-parameters instead of just the one single parameter. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And yes, yes, please. <laughs> did you read Did you read the, the one part that Hansa had made a suggestion uh-uh. in terms of, I thought it was just the most insightful, sublime suggestion for native parameters built, uh, native named parameters built within FileMaker. And it was basically using the brackets. Or, or the braces, I think, is what they're called. Square brackets, yeah. Well, you know in a substitute function, anytime you want to go beyond the first substitution, you want to now have a, a second, third, and fourth substitution, uh-huh. and you're going to use the braces? I believe that was what his suggestion was for multiple parameters. So say you're looking at the, uh, you've just selected a button, you've just chosen the perform script, and you now want to pass parameters. Well, rather than using any custom functions or... You know anything else mm-hmm. that creates this custom dictionary or however the past, just use that. Every set of braces that you would see, separated by FileMaker's familiar semicolon, mm-hmm. would simply be a new set of named parameters, and that would be able to support embedded parameters, uh, field references, uh, variables, obviously, and 
Hmm. It basically would just support anything, and FileMaker would only have to write a uh, adjust their parser so that it recognizes, okay, we're in the perform script dialog for a script parameter, and we I see a set of braces here. Do I pass this? Okay, it's valid, and pass it through, and and that's how they support multiple native named parameters. I just thought that was so awesome. Huh. So shout out to, to Hansa that, I mean... Because usually it takes a long time for FileMaker to implement something, and that just seems like it would be so quick and easy for them to instantly support multiple native uh, named parameters. Yeah, that would be. I'd be down with that. I have the way that I do it, and it's frustrating when I come up some other solution and they use a different way. I just took over one where they use multiple lines, and they use the get value or the get. Um, What's the one you'd use? I don't even really ever use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're talking about get value. Yeah, where, like it's multi- like if you do three lines and you say get me the third line or whatever. I really like the name value pair, so I use the one that um, I use the seed code method where you say, um, you know, name equals x, um, value equals y, whatever. So you have a name and a value with an equal sign. Right. And then you separate your name value pairs with a semicolon. And then you can either use a custom function or a script to turn the multiple parameters into individual variables um, or to, uh, to and then read them. And then so at the top of your script, you'd say, you know, set a variable that's the uh, case ID and go grab from the parameters that I set that I set what the value is for case ID and then interpret it. That's just the way I've been doing it for a really long time. Yep. But, yeah, you're right. There's 50 different approaches that different FileMaker developers use, and there is no – I don't even imagine that's the one that's the, the set one on the FileMaker standard site, or is there one? Yeah, we have one. Okay, uh, Jeremy Bonte uh, elaborated extensively a very old function that came uh, – that um, I had originally been exposed to from – he worked at um, uh, Skeleton – uh, key. Mikhail Adoshin mm-hmm. was one of the first people that I recall. He, he always came up with these really brilliant things, but he came up with a uh, solution that wasn't a native let solution for parameters, mm-hmm. but uh, Jeremy um, enhanced that and made it more of a, uh, a FileMaker native solution. So basically, yeah, we're Jeremy using... Bonte, by the way, is making the June uh, circuit of FileMaker developer meetings in Seattle, Portland, and Santa Clara. Yeah, he's also he um, he got accepted to speak this year. At yes, Netflix. he's practicing his session by doing a the speaker tour. <laughs> huh. Cool. Yeah, it's really doing come. the speaker tour is awesome. You you fly to Seattle and speak there, and then take the train from Seattle to Portland, which is a beautiful three and a half hour uh, ride, and it's chill. You can do a lot of work on the train on your on your computer, and then I'll pick you up at the train station and have lunch with you and show you around town and. And then the meeting in Portland is at 6, 6 p.m. And then you get up uh, in the morning and fly down to Santa Clara and speak at the Wedge. If you, if you can, it's always best to spend as much of your day at the Wedge as possible, meeting with engineers and your salespeople and whatever. Um, so it's a really, really great way to spend three days. Nice. You've done it a couple times. Uh, no, I've never done the the... the, the tour where they actually, when they release like a new version or show things, I mean the last time I did something when I was with FileMaker back in like 2002 I think. But you've spoken in Seattle and Portland, haven't you? Um, not both. Oh, okay. So I think I just did uh, one when I came and just was at Portland. It's high time Dr. Petrovsky, make the, make the circuit. 
Yeah, I need to <laughs> need to get out. But I'm finally my kids are growing up and they're not as uh, young as they used to be. So now it's a little bit easier to get away from the house. So what else? What other nuggets of goodness do we have in this 100th episode? Let's see. I mean, we can always find stuff to talk about. I know that neither you or I are actually speaking at DevCon this year. Yeah, party time for me. I I, um, I really wanted to do uh, panel discussions and to moderate them, um, so I only submitted panels, and none of them got accepted. Uh-huh. And I guess they are doing one or two panels that are moderated by people at FileMaker, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm actually really glad to have a year off. It'll be really good. Yeah, I'm debating. I I I like to go because I want. There's a bunch of people that I want to see, and it's not that there aren't sessions in particular that I wouldn't get value from, but it's hard for me to justify going. I unfortunately this year didn't. Um, I think I was just lazy. Didn't I didn't spend. submit a. Uh, I figured I'll get to it. I'll get to it, but I didn't submit anything within the time frame mm-hmm. of when they were due, which I think was sometime around January or something. Yeah. So. I just missed the boat. That's all right. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go catch up with people and stuff, but it's uh, always a expensive proposition for me going out there. So we'll see. Well, they have another deal, which is pretty cool. If you send th- three people from your company, the fourth goes free. I only have one person in my company. Yeah. Well, two. <laughs> yeah. I have um, but one full time. That's me. Yeah. Out of all the years, this is probably the probably the one year that I wouldn't want to miss, just because there's got to be so much exciting stuff that they're going to be talking about. In fact, I know that John Sindelar is speaking again, doing his year in review thing, and mm-hmm. I've I've never seen that myself, and I always wanted to see it since I always heard uh, rave reviews about. Oh yeah, it. it's it's usually the best top two or three sessions, if not the number one session at DEF CON when he does that. He puts a ton of work into it, and the pace and the energy is amazing. He's He has no idea how good of a speaker he is. <laughs> Don't tell him either. <laughs> well, I'm sure he won't listen to this. He gets super nervous, but then he just knocks it out of the park every time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, hopefully they'll record that one, and I'll be able to at least see the slides or the whatever so you're actually record. For sure, planning to not go at this point? No, I'm not planning not to go. I'm just, it really depends on where I'm at the closer uh, that we get. Some of the projects that I've taken on, I, I may have taken on a little more than I should have taken on this year. So I've got a, more than a couple of my own projects, personal private projects, and that's outside of what I need to do for the magazine plus updating some of my own products, the theme studio being one of which mm-hmm. needs to be updated pretty badly. So I'm just I've given myself a lot more work than I expected to have, which that's why I'm not totally upset that I missed the date for submitting my session because I know that adding on preparing for DevCon would be even that much more stress. Yep. It'd be it's it's not a trivial matter matter if uh, anybody listening is thinking about speaking. You, if you want it to be good and have it come out good, you've got to put in the effort. You do. It's worth sure. it though too. I think. But uh, the thing for me is, no matter how much prep you do in advance, for me, I still kind of get nervous like at the last minute. And so I spend a lot of time at DevCon rehearsing in my mind and sort of being away from people and um, 
and doing last minute prep and, and tests and whatever on my session, which makes DevCon, which, which uh, limits my ability to learn new stuff because I'm focused on delivering my content until it's done, and also limits my ability to hang out with people and, and enjoy that part. So that's why I'm actually really glad to be taking a year off this year. Yeah. For me, I, there was uh, when I was speaking the first time, um, going all the way back to like 97, when I spoke from between 97 and 2002, I remember, in fact, I, uh, I had talked about this with a friend the other day, I remember when you're trying to like get out there and make yourself known and uh, you know get respected for what you know, you get this uh, little sense of ego, and that sense of ego sort of prevents you sometimes from going out and being with the people that you want to be with. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what I let happen early on. And so the the recent DevCons I've been doing, I've been I actually do practice before I even go to DevCon. And then I don't even, while I'm there, I just totally get into DevCon and just, like, be with the people, sit down, absorb, eat. Because I, I definitely, like you, I want to do it way more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Well, next time I speak, that's the plan I'm going to try to take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I mean, if you feel prepared and so that you're not worried about being prepared, then you can shove it to the side. And I just tell myself in, the, in my head, I'm like, you know what? I've got what I've got. I think it's cool. I think it's good. If other people think it's cool, then they'll tell me in the responses. And if they don't, then I just won't get invited next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably Which always would be get a bummer, but... <laughs> So. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Oh, let's see. The other announcement. Uh, Molly Connolly has given us access to the audio from the FileMaker product conference that's held in Chicago. So we've got the last two years of all of the recorded sessions from that that I believe are going to be releasing as episodes. So I'll probably put a little intro on it saying what it is. And then every week or two, probably every two weeks, we'll put those into the feed uh, as episodes and then intersperse those with other episodes you and I do, uh, which will be more often than once a quarter. <laughs> yeah, and that'll be awesome because uh, that once a quarter, that comes... Once a quarter. Yeah, I know. It's not enough. <laughs> There's way more stuff changing, way more interesting things happening than than uh, once a quarter will allow. <laughs> That's for sure. Totally. All right. Well, always great talking to you, Maddie. Oh, I love it, man. We've got to talk more often. I know. All right. See ya. Okay. <laughs>